From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. I am so grateful to be here with you today, especially during trying times. It's stressful out there. There's a collective anxiety during this pandemic, during this coronavirus pandemic. And so it's important to continue working on yourself, even while in quarantine. And so I posted a new video specifically on that on my YouTube channel at The Anxiety Project. So go check that out. It's extremely useful because more anxiety is placed on an already sensitized person, especially with this virus going around. Someone dealing with health anxiety, a simple cough, a sneeze, can easily be misinterpreted as the virus, and that can spiral somebody into chaos, right? So go check out that video, and it'll help you with the recovery process during this stressful uh, time, this uncertainty that is the coronavirus. On today's podcast, I'm talking about poor coping strategies. And these strategies are run unconsciously by a anxiety sufferer. I practiced bad habits for a long time that only supported my anxiety, that only supported my anxious identity. And so On this episode, I'm going to talk about six specific coping strategies that are well-practiced and they're unconscious. These strategies are unconscious and I didn't know that what I was doing on a daily basis was really harming me, was really preventing me from really growing and moving forward and recovering from anxiety. So I practiced these strategies for a long time. It became normal. Being in that anxious state was normal for me. It was normal for me to feel that way. And so when I began to step out in the recovery journey, when I started to really get angry and want change, I was met with that resistance because I'm really stepping out of the my normal way of living, dealing with anxiety, and that was painful to really face the truth, but also to really move forward. It was painful. And I used to attract people like me, like my anxious self. And I I would always say, you know, why do these things always happen to me? Why can't I find someone who treats me right? And so like-minded people 
attract like-minded people, right? My friends used to tell me that my best friend, we fed off of each other's energy. Similar people attract similar people, right? When you begin to change, the separation begins between you and that person. And three things can happen when you begin to change. The first thing is that you resist the change and you resort back to your old ways because the new way is not what you're accustomed to. It's not what you're used to. And so you go back. There's all of these fears that pop up. Oh no, what if I lose that bond with that person when I change? What if I... I you know, make that person angry and because of what I'm doing to change. So there's all of these fears up present itself. And these are hard questions to answer. I mean, what, what if, you know, that bond between you and that person does break apart? And that's a hard question. And so that's the first one. The second one is, You continue to change, but they see and admire the improvements you're making, and then they decide to join you and ask for help. You can't really save somebody who's drowning and does and and they don't want to be saved, right? It's a lot of people come to me and say, Brad, you know, I'm really trying to help this person. But it's just, it, I just can't seem to. And the thing I tell, the, what I tell those people is that they have to want to change or you're just going to get dragged down with them. So the, I'll just review the first one again. So you resist the change and resort back to your old ways. The second one, you continue to change and that person sees and admires that change within you and decides to join you on that journey. The third one is that they remain the same. They don't want to change. And then the distance grows and grows until eventually the both of you have nothing in common anymore. And I'm very familiar with the third one because my former best friend, he, we were very close, but I decided to overcome anxiety. I decided to change. I realized he was a negative influence on my life. And what happened? I started to aim higher and higher and grow and grow and overcome my anxiety. He stayed the same. So after a year, after I recovered from anxiety, we spoke he was the same person. He, I told him my journey. I told him my recovery process. I didn't force him to join me. I didn't force him to recover from his own personal issues. But I saw that he is most comfortable in that state, in that anxious state. And so he didn't change. He didn't want to change. And we grew apart so much. 
that we don't have anything in common anymore. So we hardly speak to each other. It's because that distance just grew and grew until we just didn't have anything in common. So the question is, how bad do you want to change? It's a very important question. Are you angry enough to really sacrifice those negative friends for that goal of being anxiety free? You have to pick your sacrifice. So potentially losing a friend or more and becoming the person you only dreamed of or you remain in the situation and you continuously suffer. When both paths seem painful, you have to pick your poison. You have to pick the poison that you want. They're both painful, but which path will better your higher self? Anxiety sufferers tend to avoid the pain and resort back to their poor coping strategies that are most familiar to them. It's easier than facing the dragon. And I don't even think it's just anxiety sufferers. I think it's people in general. People avoid the pain, no matter if it's little or big. They just want to stay comfortable and they don't want to face that pain. But when you face the pain, growth happens. It's just like the saying, no pain, no gain. So now let's get into some of the most common coping strategies people engage in when facing their anxiety challenge. And like I said before, these are unconscious. It became their way of life. It became my way of life. I, I was running these habits every day. It became normal. And so when I started to listen to people who overcame anxiety, role models, I finally understood, oh my God, you know, I've been running these habits every day. And that only supported my anxiety. It was eye-opening. It was a paradigm shift. So let's get into it. Number one is Facebook. Now, on Facebook, I see so many people sharing quotes who are suffering from anxiety and they're sharing quotes on self-improvement, but they don't practice what they preach. And so I see the same people sharing symptoms, complaining about how they're feeling. And then I meet people in person and they're suffering to the extreme. And then I see them on Facebook and they're posting self-help quotes. And it, it makes me think, oh man, you're, you're such a hypocrite. I mean, you're, you're suffering deeply. 
you're unhappy, but you don't do anything about it. And then on Facebook, you're sharing these powerful, inspirational quotes, but they don't practice what they put out on the internet. And then they continuously share their symptoms. They continuously talk about their symptoms, but they are still suffering. And that's because they don't really want to face the pain of changing. That's their normal. That was my normal. Posting these quotes, posting these happy pictures on Instagram while I was still suffering. It was my ego that was wanting to feed off of the likes I got, the comments I got. It was the ego that was looking for attention. That part of me that was suffering, I was looking to fill that void. And when I started to recover from anxiety, I broke away from social media. I started to be with myself more. And then I discovered a lot of things when I was alone. I discovered more truths about what I need to work on. I discovered that my ego was playing a huge role on social media and in general. So I had I broke away and I felt great actually being disconnected from that media, that social media. I felt great. I felt like I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on getting better. And that was huge for me. And I started to get better because I, I, I put all my attention on my internal world and overcoming this anxiety. Because when you change your internal world, then you change your external world. And these people that post these quotes and sharing their symptoms on the internets through blogs, I see a lot of blogs where people talk about their symptoms and then the other person talks about their symptoms and they connect and they they're relate, they relate to each other because they both share the same symptoms. They don't know how to overcome this, so they just cope. And that only supports that anxiety identity. And that only creates a new normal for those sufferers. And that is very bad. Because that when that becomes the new normal, it's going to get harder and harder to overcome that anxiety. Number two, you hide behind your partner. And this was a big one for me. I relied on on my partner as a shield, right? And I'll get into that in just a minute. So I would rely on them to keep the conversation going. If we are out at a event, if we are at a get together, I would rely on her to talk because I was so internal, so focused on my anxiety sensations. I was worried about my symptoms and whether I was going to die from this and that. So I relied on her to keep the conversation going because I would always give those one-word answers. 
And then also I would nag at her, you know, to leave the get together early, right? I would, I would tell her and I would sort of, uh, when we were away from people, I would be like, can we go? And I feel like this and I feel like that. And I don't want to be here and all of these things. So I would nag at her. So I used her as some sort of shield, right? So that I wouldn't have to engage in those other people around me. So I would rely on her for support. I was dependent on her reassurance. Oh, you know, is this really a serious illness? Is this really um, going to harm my health? All of these things. And so I was dependent upon her for that reassurance. And I also relied on her for release, someone to take my anger on, right? I would, whenever I was frustrated about something, even something that's not even related to her, I would take my anger out on her. And so she was, she acted as, as that uh, release, right? Like the, like the amygdala, the fight, flight, or freeze response, I was in fight mode sometimes. And she was that release. I would fight with her because I had all of this anxiety, this, this adrenaline, this cortisol pumping through my body and she was there. So I, I took my anger out on her. So I hid behind her and a lot of problems arose from that. That's number two. Number three is I always made excuses you know, I always made excuses uh, what, uh, to leave the get-together early, to leave the party early, to leave the coffee date early, whatever it was, I made excuses. And because I was so internal and I felt ashamed and I felt guilty and all my vulnerabilities were there. And I always say, you know, someone's eyes is a gateway to the soul, right? Because so, it's person's person's vulnerabilities can be shown through the eyes and so I always looked away I was always shy I I couldn't make eye contact and I just wanted to get out of there because my negative thoughts would would come would snowball and I would not want to make eye contact I felt ashamed I felt um guilty I felt um I felt like I just wanted to pay attention to my symptoms because I was so concerned over the racing heart or the the, the potential uh, disease I thought I had. So I would always leave early because I didn't want to stick around. I didn't want to associate myself with anybody. I just wanted to be in my safe zone. And then also avoiding the gym. Avoiding the gym was was avoiding the pain, right? Avoiding that racing heart, avoiding the uh, aches and pains of running or w- lifting weights. And I, I didn't want to face that. I, And so I avoided the gym and that was another big one. Um, a huge one for me was avoiding work opportunities. This was huge. I wanted to work in film and and have a career in film, but I would avoid calling into work. I would avoid any work opportunities when I was an intern. 
And so uh, I would have other camera operators come up to me and be like, Brad, you know, uh, can you come and do this and help out with this? And, and I would, I would be like, yeah, you know, yeah, of course, of course I, I would want to. And I, I would say in a way where I just, do, it doesn't seem like I'm interested because I really wasn't. And so I would have, and, and they would, they would pick up on that and be like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know when, when it comes up and stuff. So, and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Right. I would just avoid it because I felt comfortable in what I knew my my schedule I felt comfortable just going home and relaxing because of my anxiety so I would avoid work opportunities I wouldn't take those opportunities who know who knows what those doors would have opened up to right if I was very consciously aware and and anxiety free right so Avoiding those opportunities is something anxiety sufferers uh, do, and, and anxiety sufferers make excuses to avoid those events, those parties, those gatherings, those work opportunities, right? Number four is waiting for change to occur. You know, I had this belief where, you know, when it happens, it happens, I'm just going to wait around for it. I'm comfortable. I'm at home. You know, I uh, wake up and have my coffee and I just do my thing and I'm around people that give me that reassurance. So I'm just going to wait, wait it out. You know, if, if things happen, it happens, right? And it's funny because the last one was always making excuses and avoiding those opportunities, right? So and then my other belief was when it happens, it happens. So that's kind of interesting to think about, right? When it happens, it happens. But I would also avoid those doors for different opportunities. And so I would also have this belief where I would say, I am who I am, or, you know, I'm just going to love who I am, right? Who I am right now. But that's not right because what about the person who you could be? You should love the person who you could be, the aim. We should always be improving ourselves, growing. Because do you want to be a 40-year-old, 18-year-old? Nobody likes a 40-year-old, 18-year-old. You have to grow up. You have to change who you are. You have to learn new things and really expand your horizons and shift your perspectives, right? You don't want to have the same limiting beliefs you had when you're 18, when you're 40, right? So you have to change. And so you should be saying, you know, who could I be? Not, I should just love who I am now, but love who you, the person you could be. That is way more powerful. Number five, you spend too much time at home. And 
that's sort of the same with hiding behind your partner, right? You're you're in your safe zone. You're hiding behind the walls of your house. And people with agoraphobia, like what the, I used to suffer from agoraphobia. I would spend all my time at home and not willing to face the dragon of chaos. I was avoiding those work opportunities opportunities because I was afraid of the failure. You know, going to work, not doing a good job, not not understanding the equipment. And I was afraid of doing a poor job and other people judging me. And I was really afraid of that. I was afraid to confront experienced, uh, hardworking people and me being not knowing the equipment. I was afraid of not doing a good job and being judged by them. So I would spend all my time at home. I was comfortable there. I had all the reassurance at home I needed. So I thought, you know, why? I can just wait around and if when change happens, it'll happen. But you can see how poor of a belief that is because for change to happen, you have to walk through those doors. You have to face the pain. You have to confront the dragon of chaos. That's where knowledge lies and that's where change lies so too much time at home that's number five number six negative friends just like uh which one was it it was um uh actually it wasn't on here i was actually i was talking about it before where uh you know, about changing and how people grow apart, right? And so number six is negative friends. And these friends that you hang around, you can you can probably tell that they all support their beliefs and views. You want to be around people who challenges your views. And so that's what I found so amazingly uh, useful in my relationship right now. She challenged my way of thinking. She challenged my beliefs and my habits. And she grew, uh, I grew because of that, because of her, right? So you want to be around people. You want to be in a relationship with somebody who challenges you and not so much agrees with everything you say, but are you hanging around people, friends specifically, who share the same views of the world I did with my past friend, where we would share our negative views of the world. We would share our uh, bitterness, resentfulness with each other, and that only supported my anxiety, my anxious identity, and we, I relied on him for support, for that escapism, not having to face those responsibilities. I can just go see him, you know, smoke some weed, watch TV, um, play video games, and just talk crap, right? But then when I would leave, I, I felt emotionally drained. I felt emotionally exhausted. I felt guilty because I really wasn't, you know, reaching my potential. I wasn't facing the truth. I was avoiding it by just 
escaping with him, right? Not having to face responsibilities or those work opportunities. And so I didn't have an aim. I wasn't happy. I didn't have any meaning in my life, but it was all I knew. I didn't have those paradigm shifts at the time that made my eyes open to what I I was actually doing. And that's what I find so... uh, That's why I do these podcasts. That's why I talk about these uh, experiences that I had. I want you to have those eye-opening experiences. I want you to recover from anxiety. I'm not here to to help you manage those symptoms, to help you just get through the day. I'm here to provide you with the information so that you can get better, so that you can overcome this anxiety, so that you can reach the goals you've always wanted to reach. And so I talk all the time on this podcast how I did it. And and so I want you to take that and apply it to you so that you can overcome this challenge in your life. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Remember that the Anxiety Project program is 50% off until the end of April because of this quarantine, because of this pandemic. Recovery starts now. Go check out the program at unpluganxiety.com. I designed this program and it includes CBT and NLP practices to help you overcome anxiety naturally. Go check that out. And remember, do not let anxiety define who you are. I will see you on the next podcast episode. Bye for now. Brad's powerful anxiety recovery program is available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. What are you waiting for? Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.